concerning the fear of the Lord. If there is anything that is missing in today's society, it's like Abraham said in the 20th chapter when he went down to Egypt, he said, the fear of the Lord is not in this place, and therefore I want you to say that you're my sister, not my wife. He knew, he said, if the, since the fear of the Lord isn't here, they might kill me. So you tell them that you're my sister. And he, it was half-truth because she was his half-sister. But the fear of the Lord is not in that place. Any generation has seen things change as much in lifetime. It's been this generation. Because when I was a child, people, even though they didn't go to church, would never darken the church door. They still had a fear of God. They still knew that God was real. And very, very few of people ever deny God. Today, you see young people that have no fear of God whatsoever. You know, I see a lot of people in churches today that really don't have a fear of God. They're having a, a kind of a sweet relationship, honey-honey relationship with this dear old man upstairs, but they have no genuine fear of God in their heart. And I was amazed as I, I, I saw this Bible study, this verse study that Bill Gothard did concerning the fear of the Lord. I never realized how many things God said was provided for us through the fear of the Lord. How many blessings would be ours if we feared the Lord? First of all, turn to Proverbs 22, verse 4. I'll start off with verse, verse 1 first. It says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor than, rather than silver and gold. But then it says in verse 4, By humility and the fear of the Lord are what? Riches and honor and life. Think about that. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches. You want to get rich? Honor. You want to be honored? In life, you want to really have life in its fullest? It comes by humility and fearing the Lord. Now, let's just go down some of these verses very quickly. The next thing is, it's through the fear of the Lord that we can overcome sinful habits. We can overcome sinful habits. Proverbs 16, verse 6. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. When they begin to realize that someday we're going to have to answer to God, there's going to be a great white throne judgment. Others have said they weren't afraid to die, but they didn't know that judgment was coming after death. It's when they begin to fear the Lord that they begin to depart from evil. Second thing, is to begin learning knowledge. Do you really want knowledge? Wisdom and knowledge, knowledge is the accumulation of facts. Wisdom is the, the application of those facts. To be able to begin learning knowledge, proper alignment or proper application of facts is Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you don't fear the Lord, you'll never really begin to have real knowledge. The fear of the Lord is beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Isn't that powerful? Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you want to start being wise, first of all we talk about knowledge, now we're talking about wisdom, Proverbs 9.10. You start being wise. You can't have it without fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. One thing to have wisdom 
But it goes on to say that the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Once you understand who you are, where you came from, why you're here, where you're going, and get it in proper perspective, you begin to have understanding in all things. Now you've got knowledge and wisdom through the fear of the Lord, and with it comes understanding as you fear the Lord, and understand that everything relates to your relationship to Him. Have a longer life with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 10, 27. The fear of the Lord, what? Prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. To discover the fountain of life. Proverbs 14, 27. To discover the fountain of life. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Some people say, well, and if you have to fear God, then you come into bondage. No, that's when you get released and you can begin to live. The next one is to learn contentment. Proverbs 15, 16. To learn contentment. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. So if you fear the Lord, even if you have little, you're better off than the man who doesn't fear God and has much and has trouble with it. To grow in wisdom, Proverbs 15, 33, same chapter. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, understanding, getting, gaining more understanding and perspective from it. And we just read the first one, to get riches, honor, and life, Proverbs 22, 4. The next one talks about being able to experience true worship. Psalm 5, 7. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Now I know the word of God says we're to come boldly before the throne of grace, but the only reason we can come boldly before the throne of grace is because we recognize a right relationship with the Lord. If we come with sin in our heart, Iniquity in our heart, we're guarding iniquity in our heart, God won't hear our prayer. And to come before God without, first of all, seeking His forgiveness and cleansing indicates that there's no fear of God in our heart. We don't understand how holy and righteous and pure God really is. To experience true worship, in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. You really, you know, I don't fear God that He's going to beat me to death, but I fear that I'm not going to please Him the way I ought to. And I know, the more I read the Old Testament, I realize that God chastens sin. He deals with sin. You can't read the Old Testament without... And I know there are a lot of people who say, well, God allows chastening to come. But I read over and over again, He says, I myself will do it with my own hand. I will do it in my own indignation. I will judge sin. He tells the children of Israel over and over and over again and all the other nations around it. And we begin to understand that God says He'll judge sin. Then the fear of the Lord begins to cause these things to happen in our lives. To have no wants. Psalm 34, 9. This really spoke to my heart today as I was reading through these. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. You have wants right now? Walk in the fear of the Lord, and he says there'll be no wants. To experience God's salvation. Psalm 85, 9. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. 
Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him. To receive daily provision involves the fear of the Lord. Psalm 111.5 He hath given meat unto them that fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He hath given meat unto them that fear him. Need daily provision? Part of the Lord's prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. But you'll notice that in the rest of it, you're saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth. In this life right here, Jesus will rule and reign. He is absolute Lord of my life. Then provide my daily need. To experience strong confidence. Back over into Proverbs again. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. When you fear the Lord and recognize that you have to answer to him for everything you do, you begin to walk in confidence because you know you have a right relationship with him. When David was out in the field and Saul was after him, he stood in strong confidence because he said, Lord, you're my shield, you're my buckler, you're my my covering, you're my protection. And I'm just going to stand and believe that you're going to deliver me from all my enemies. You're going to cause them to fall into their own traps. You're going to cause their, their weapons to come back against themselves. And he went out why? Because he had confidence in the Lord. He feared the Lord and had confidence in the Lord providing for him. To have a satisfying life. Proverbs 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord tendeth to bondage and legalism. You know what it says? The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. Isn't that great? You have the fear of the Lord, you'll be satisfied and not be visited with evil. Now we can either believe that or, or doubt it. Like I said, faith activates God like doubt activates Satan. To share the secrets of the Lord with fear. To share the secrets of the Lord. Psalm 25, 14. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him, and He will show them His covenant. What covenant does the Lord have with us right now? Covenant of peace. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him, and He'll show them His covenant. They'll walk in perfect peace. My peace I give unto you, he said. Psalm 31.19 talks about experiencing God's goodness. Psalm 31.19 Oh, how great is thy goodness which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee. Isn't that great? How great is thy goodness which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. God's got a lot of goodness for those that trust Him, that fear Him, walking in the fear of the Lord. Psalm 33, verses 18 and 19. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him, upon them that hope in His mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. The eye of the Lord is upon them. He sees those that fear Him. You know, there's been other times in the Old Testament where God said to the angel, you go through and put a mark on their forehead and I'll come through, then I want the death angel to go through and slay all the rest of them. He says, it's the ones that fear me. They're the ones that I I want you to mark so they won't be killed. 
The fear of the Lord also delivers us from trouble. Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him and delivereth them. Isn't that great? The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him and he delivers them. To be looked to for truthfulness. If you fear the Lord, you will be looked to for truthfulness. Psalm 60, verse 4. Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. It's interesting, from time to time, people will say when I come around, Pastor Joe, you tell me, I know you won't lie to me. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I look around and I think, well, who's the bunch of liars you must be around all the time? Now, you tell me what happened. I know you won't lie to me. He says that if you fear the Lord, that people will see you, you'll be carrying a banner of truthfulness. So everybody else might lie, but I'm going to, I, I expect the truth from them. That's a good question. Do people expect the truth from you when you say it? You know, I really get concerned when I have people come around saying, honestly, honestly, they say to you, oh, now, honestly, I, I really did, honestly didn't do that. Honestly, I didn't. Why do you have to keep saying honestly? Let your yes be yes and your no, no. If you didn't do it, just say, I didn't do it. If you don't believe it, that's your problem, but I didn't do it. If you've got a reputation for not being believed, that's something else. I've had people say, why don't people believe me? I say, you lie all the time. <laughs> yeah, but they ought to start believing me. They will when you quit lying. But if you fear the Lord, there'll be a banner of truth over you. The people will expect the truth out of you. But if you don't have truthfulness within you, it's evidence that you don't fear the Lord. You know the Word of God says in the book of Revelation that all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. So that's certainly not the one that fears the Lord. To be given God's mercy. If you have fear for the Lord, you'll receive God's mercy. Psalm 103, 11. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. If you desire to have the Lord's pity, you want the Lord to pity you. Psalm 103, 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Isn't that great? I mean, you can get knowledge, you can get wisdom, you can get blessings, you can get honor, you can get salvation, you can get provision, you can get confidence, you can have a satisfactory life, you can share the secrets with the Lord, you can have longer life, all these things, if you just fear the Lord. If you want to bring delight to the Lord, you can do it through fear. Psalm 147, 11. You want to bring delight to the Lord. Psalm 147, 11. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. If you fear the Lord, the Lord takes pleasure in you. You just please him. Wonderful. And then if you want to become a special treasure to God, Malachi 3, 16 and 17. Malachi 3, 16 and 17. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name, 
And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. Isn't that beautiful? Those that fear the Lord are going to be his jewels. What are the consequences of not fearing the Lord? Romans 3, 10 through 18. There is no restraint of evil. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's a clear picture that we see beginning to emerge in this nation. I'm talking of outside the church of Jesus Christ. If there are no, if there's no fear of the Lord, these are the consequences. No restraint of evil. Second, there is no effective church discipline without fear of the Lord. Can you imagine 40, 50 years ago when someone was disciplined in the church, someone going to court and trying to sue the church? Can you imagine that 40 or 50 years ago? They would have been railroaded out of town because of the fear of God that was in people's hearts. And today when you try to discipline church members, different churches have tried it. You know, for the first time in the history that I can ever remember, and I've been a Christian for almost 40 years before long here now, Pastors today are almost required to have insurance to protect them for things they might say in the pulpit for fear of being sued. Unheard of. Jimmy Swigert has been sued for $90 million by someone who said that, that he was responsible for this man being thrown out of the ministry because of an adulterous relationship. No fear of God whatsoever in that man's heart. We know that 1 Corinthians says that we're not to take a brother to court. No fear of God. Listen, no effective church discipline. Acts 5, 5 shows where there was the fear of the Lord. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. Now, you know something? Something that may have to happen in order to reinstate a little bit of the fear of the Lord is a circumstance like happened to Ananias and Sapphira. I've known of circumstances like that where people have come out against the pastor. I, I know of one church where they came against the pastor, lied against the pastor, uh, did horrible things to try to keep the church from even being able to hold meetings. And the man that was responsible for it suddenly had a horrible accident where every bone in his, in his lower part of his face was smashed, his arms were broken, they didn't know that he was even going to live. But it jerked the slack out of the conversation of the rest of the people that were fighting the preacher. Somebody says, well, you're going to blame God for that accident. No, but the word of God says, don't touch the Lord's anointed. Do my prophets no harm. And wherever they have done it, they've been judged for it in the Old Testament. 1 Timothy 5.20 Them that sin, rebuke before all that others also may fear. That means publicly expose and reprove them. Them that sin, rebuke before all that others also may fear. Now, it's not talking about every time you see somebody sin, you bring them up before the church and say, they've sinned. It means if you go to them and try to deal with them, they won't listen to you. And then two people, go, two or three witnesses go along and they won't listen to you. You bring them before the church. That's after you've tried to deal with them. But when you deal with them, then you have to publicly expose them. And what's the reason for it? 
that others might fear. See, there's, there's just virtually no fear today. There's no guard against wrong church members. Acts 5, 11 through 13, And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things, and the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. This is with the apostles there. Look at it in Acts 5 so you can see the surrounding story. That was when Ananias and Sapphira had their situation. They carried her out to be buried with her husband. And by the, the hands, verse 12, by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them or highly regarded them. Now let me say again, I have to admit, on the other side, one of the reasons why many pastors, evangelists today are not being highly respected is they're not seeing much power nor much authority. God's going to have to restore power and authority to the church if they're going to see the respect that, that the church is going to have to have. First of all, there has to be a consistency in the lives of those who profess to know the Lord. Then there's going to have to be the power of God. When they created many signs and wonders, fear came upon the whole church. There has to be some evidence of God's power operating in the, lives of the, in the life of the church today for fear to come. Without fear of the Lord, there's no perfecting of holiness. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in what? In the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Unless a person really fears the Lord, you're not going to see them walk in holiness. It's the fear of the Lord that causes holiness to come into a person. There is no perfecting of holiness, 2 Corinthians 7.11. There is no scriptural submission. Ephesians 5.21. Ephesians 5.21, there is no scriptural submission. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Unless we really fear God, we won't submit to each other. But if we recognize we're each a part of the body and we must submit to each other and love one another, admonish one another, rebuke one another, encourage one another, because we are one, we'll never be able to grow as a body of believers. But it says in Ephesians here, 5.21, we are to submit ourselves to one another in the fear of God because God told us to. Because we fear the Lord, we're going to do that very thing. Do you find it hard to submit to other Christians? Do you find it hard to submit to your parents? You find it hard to submit to your husband? Husbands find it hard to submit to the Lord or to spiritual authority? I've had homes where it looked like everything was going along just fine now through the years of my ministry. And then when the wife began to see some problems in the home, we tried to talk to the husband about it. The husband wouldn't seek counsel from anybody. Instead of seeking counsel, they would go to some other church. He wanted the wife to submit to him, but he wasn't willing to submit to any other spiritual authority because there was no fear of God. You see, if it's going to work for the one below you, it better work for the one you're to submit to, too. And we have to submit to... God does have these different levels, but that doesn't mean I can't submit to you. When there are things that come up, I have to be able to submit and say, hey, I need your help. I need... What, what do you feel about this thing? Pray for me. Help me encourage me in this situation. There has to be a submission in both ways. But we recognize office, offices of authority. 
See, there's some children that are more spiritual than their parents, but they still have to submit to their parents. There's many wives more spiritual than their husbands, but they still, if they're really spiritual, they'll submit to their husbands. Maybe some men are more spiritual than their pastors, now they're in trouble. You better find another pastor, or really pray for that pastor that he'll grow in the Lord. But there needs to be submission. There is no maturity in our salvation without the fear of the Lord. No maturity or maturing of our salvation. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's very clear. For it's God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So if there's no fear of God, I mean where you literally tremble, if you're not doing as you know the Lord would have you to do, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He will not be able to do his good pleasure in you if you do not fear him as you ought. Next, there's no entering into God's rest without the fear of the Lord. You know, I had no idea in my mind that the Word of God had so much to talk about the fear of the Lord. I can remember when I was in Bible school during times of, of uh, revival where the fear of the Lord was so real, if you even the Lord would reveal to you that you had spoken a sharp word to someone or you had criticized someone, you began to just tremble all over inside and almost become nauseated. And you'd run to that person and say, will you please forgive me? I did this against you and I've asked God for forgiveness. Will you please forgive me? And there was such a permeating of the school with the fear of the Lord. I remember one day when the, the speaker that was there for the week walked into our classroom, we literally slid out of our seats and fell on the floor and our faces began to weep. He didn't say a word, just walked in the room. The presence of the Holy Spirit was so real in the school that week. And the fear of the Lord came on that school. Young people went back to work and began to tell their bosses where they had cheated or lied or stolen from them or whatever they'd done. And that happened even from kids in Bible school. Had to start writing back home and apologizing and seeking forgiveness from different ones. Called home and found out to, to find forgiveness of different people. What happened? The fear of the Lord came on them suddenly. Without the fear of the Lord, none of these blessings can be ours. There is no influence to unsaved husbands without the fear of the Lord. No influence to unsaved husbands. Hebrews 4.1, there is no entering into God's rest without fear. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. It's impossible to come into the Lord's rest without fear. Now, there is no influence to unsaved husbands. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. There it is again. There's no influence to unsaved husbands if they do not see the fear of the Lord in your life. You want to submit to them, and that's why Bill Gothard has a lot to say about appealing to your authority. When they want you to do something that you know you can't do as a Christian, you appeal to them. You're not saying, I refuse to do that. Honey, I would love to do anything you ask me to do, but because of my relationship with the Lord, I can't do that. Could I do this instead? I would rather do it this way, but I cannot do what you're asking me to do. Please understand it isn't that I don't want to do what you're asking me to do, but I can't. You see, what's two things that you're doing. You're respecting your husband, and showing love to him, but at the same time, you're declaring with fear, your fear of the Lord. And that makes an impact on the husband. Next, there is no effective witnessing without the fear of the Lord. No effective witnessing. 
1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. In other words, with meekness, first of all, you recognize that but by the grace of God I'm the same as you. I'd have to be without hope and without God. And the fear that if you don't be faithful in witnessing to those around about you, their blood is going to be on your hands in that day. Now, let me emphasize again, there's a difference between witnessing and soul winning. The Lord called us to be witnesses. He did not say that we had to be soul winners. We plant the seed. We water the seed. The Holy Spirit has to bring forth the fruit. And when I see people going around getting discouraged because, well, I haven't seen a soul saved in a long, long time. Have you been faithful in witnessing? Well, I've told a lot of people. Then that's your, all your responsibility is. But there needs to come a time when you come and say, wouldn't you like to invite Jesus Christ into your heart? I heard of a, a man on the radio the other day, a, a preacher, and he said that he was in a church one time holding meetings and everybody was concerned about this one man's son. They said he can answer all the questions, right? But we know he's not saved. And he went over and he said, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes. Do you believe he died for your sins? Yes. You believe it? Yes, all the questions, perfect. He said, finally, the Holy Spirit says, well, why don't you ask him to trust Jesus? Hmm. You see, there's a difference between witnessing and giving an invitation. You know, in selling, you can sell anything you want to, but until you close and get the thing signed and get the contract or the check in your hand, you haven't done anything. And he said, well, son, you know all these things and you believe all these things. Wouldn't you like to trust Jesus Christ right now and ask him to come into your heart? He says, I really would. They had been telling him all about it, and he understood it all. He had received all this information, but they said, wouldn't you like to trust him right now? He said, yes, I would. And that's why there's no effective witnessing, first of all, if you don't really fear the Lord with meekness and fear. But then when you do that, you have to expect that the Lord sooner or later is going to give a harvest. So once in a while, you need to say, wouldn't you right now? Or couldn't, can you think of any good reason right now why you shouldn't accept Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior? But without the fear of the Lord, there's no effectiveness. In fact, if without the fear of the Lord, you won't be witnessing very much. You've got to fear the Lord more than you fear men. Some people say, well, I just have never felt free to witness. And you, you may have a fear of men more than you have the fear of the Lord. Then. Because he says, you shall be witnesses unto me. Next, there's no fulfilling of godly desires. There is no fulfilling of godly desires without the fear of the Lord. Psalm 145, 19. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. Pretty good, isn't it? He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. Next, there's no effective restoration without the fear of the Lord. Jude 23. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And then, there's no courage for suffering without the fear of the Lord. No courage for suffering without the fear of the Lord. Revelation 2.10 Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto what? Be thou faithful unto death. Now there's a real overcoming message, isn't it? I mean, name it and claim it. In ten days you're going to die. 
Think about it. There were some that said that some of the apostles did not have enough faith to resist the enemy and to bind spirits, and that's why they died martyr's death. They didn't have enough faith to believe God. To... I can't see that. The Lord here is saying to them, don't fear any of these things, because in ten days you shall have ten days tribulation, be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. There come times when God's servants do die. I don't mean natural death. Many times they die unnatural death. In fact, that's what the book of Hebrews 11 is all about. These all having died in faith. In faith, they were torn asunder. They were put between horses and jerked apart. All these things happened to them. Doesn't sound to me like, how could that be faith? They died in faith, the scripture says. Samson died in faith, pushing the pillars of the temple apart. The whole thing collapsed on him. Died in faith. What is the fear of the Lord? You see, just as a child does not fear fire and must learn to recognize its awesome potential for benefit or destruction, every person has to fear the Lord, learn to fear the Lord in every area of his life. You learn to fear the Lord. How do you learn? The entrance of his word gives light. You can't read the word of God very long without sensing that God knows and sees everything that goes on in your life. Most Christians have little or no understanding of the fear of the Lord. Whenever the phrase comes up in Scripture, it's interpreted simply as a reverential trust for the Lord. Well, I reverence the Lord. You know, I, I bow my head when people pray. That's not what it's talking about at all. It's not simply a reverential trust. He said here, this bland definition fails to open up the power and significance of this concept or to explain the many results and rewards that are described in Scripture for those who have the fear of the Lord. Particularly significant is the following verse which relates the fear of the Lord to the achievement of moral purity. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Proverbs 16, 6. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Now, just mark it down and cut it any other way you want to. But if you don't see men departing from evil, you don't have men who fear the Lord. Let me say that again. If any church you want to look at, any situation you want to look at, if men are not departing from evil, they don't fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Here's the definition, operational de definition of, of the fear of the Lord. The continual awareness that I am in the presence of a holy, just, and almighty God and that every thought, word, and action and deed is open before him and is being judged by him. I think that you need to put this somewhere in your Bible, right next to your Ebenezer's or wherever. Fear of the Lord is the continual awareness that I'm in the presence, the continual awareness, wherever you are. You know, some people go out of state to sin. Some people will leave the state to do things they wouldn't do here, or they go out of town to do things they wouldn't do in town. I know uh, of situations where, they, where we've been told in some hotels that where they've had youth pastor conferences, they have an upsurge in HBO and Showtime films, X-rated films. They go up during the time they're having these youth pastor seminars. Now, what would happen? Do you think those young people, I mean, those youth pastors are doing it back home? Maybe on the sly, but it's an evidence that they are not aware of a con the continual awareness of God's presence around them. In the presence of a holy, just, and almighty God, and that every thought, word, action, and deed is open before him and is being judged by him. That's a powerful statement. 
The Word of God says in the New Testament that every word, every deed, every thought is recorded. It's recorded for when we stand before God in that day. Saints and sinners alike. You know, a lot of times we, we don't hear many messages on this fact. But someday we're going to stand before God. And every place we go, everything we do, He's constantly aware of what we're doing. Let me just ask you. How would the fear of God in your life or mine, if we had a genuine fear of God, how would it change our present day living? How much would we change if men and women really feared the Lord? How about your thought life? Would it change? I don't mean while you're in church. I mean when you're driving down the road or when you're walking down the street or you're out of town or something. If you really were aware of this, would your actions change? Are there some things you wouldn't say if you really believed that everything you said the Lord heard? Are there some actions that you are performing that you would cease to perform if you knew God was watching every moment and judging you? How about some attitudes? Would they be corrected too? How about motives? You see, it's essential that we have the fear of the Lord in our hearts if we're going to walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. We need to ask the Lord to make us aware of this fact that He's watching us continuously. He loves us but he will not compromise in the area of sin. We need to deal with sin and call it, what, call it by the same name as he does and deal with it. The fear of the Lord, we said, is the continual awareness that I am in the presence of a holy, just, and almighty God and that every thought, word, and action and deed is open before him and is being judged by him. I'll tell you, nothing can, can align a person's life more quickly than to be aware of the fact that God sees everything. Every thought, every word, every deed, every action, every attitude. Think about it. Everything that you've done this past week when no one else was around, everything you thought when no one else was around, what would have happened to you had you known that that was going to be broadcast publicly? But you see, God says one of these days, everything that you've thought and said and done that has not been confessed and put under the blood is going to be exposed. You think, well, that's all hidden. Let me tell you something. And I say this with all love, and I say it because I realize I could be there myself, but by the grace of God, years ago, Jim Baker would have given anything. I know now he would have given anything had he just realized God's watching him. He never dreamed in the wildest imagination that someday it would be blasted across the world and the world is scoffing and laughing about the thing. My heart aches for him. But the devil deceived him at that moment. He stumbled and fell into that situation. And then, of course, sin upon sin, trying to cover it, hide it, keep it under, do whatever had to be done. And I can understand those feelings. My heart hurts for him. But had the message, this message, been burned into his heart, and let me tell you, I say this because I want it to be burned into my heart. It's got to be burned into your heart. The fear of the Lord that he's watching everything we do every moment. It keeps us from sin. The fear of the Lord will keep us from evil. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Proverbs 16, 6 says. Not by the fear of men, but by the... I hope we're not, we don't do things. It's not that we don't do things because we're afraid what people will say. You see, he should be and we should be more concerned not about whether, well, what if the press ever picks this up and expands it and, and it all gets exposed. More like, like Joseph when, when Pharaoh's wife came to him and, and asked him to, to have an affair with her. He jerked all the garment off and fled, and he said, I cannot do this before my God. 
You're his wife, and I can't do this before my... He didn't say anything about Pharaoh, but I can't do it before my God. Joseph had a fear of the Lord in his heart. Let me tell you something. Very few Christians today have a fear of the Lord. We have an instinctive concern about what others think of us and how they will judge the things we do. This concern constitutes a fear of man. If we have this much concern over what man thinks, how much more should we be concerned about God's evaluation of our thoughts, words, actions, attitudes, and motives? The fact is that everything we think, say, and do will one day be displayed for all the world to see and judge. Now that's scary. Remember, as a brand new Christian, the first time I ever heard that, I thought, oh, can't imagine that. Genesis sixteen thirteen. Thou God seest me. Genesis sixteen thirteen. You might want to underscore these verses when I give them to you now, or write them down. Psalm one thirty nine two. David said, Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Remember, God knows what you're thinking. He knows the images that you conjure up in your mind. He knows the attitudes we have toward others. We may never say a word, but man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And how we think in our heart, oh, we might have that religious facade out in front. Oh, God bless you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Walk away. God sees that. We ought to be more concerned about what he thinks when he sees it than what they think when they see something coming out from that facade. We'd be further ahead to drop the facade and tell them exactly what we think and then say, dear God, forgive me, but that's what I, I'm thinking and I don't want to have that thought. We'd be better off. Psalm 139.4 There is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. What does that mean? It means that when we say any word that comes out of our mouth, God knows the motive and the attitude from which it came. It doesn't make any difference how sweet and sugary it sounds. He knows the source and the root from which it came. You can you could walk up to somebody and say, my, that's a nice looking suit, and walk over to someone else and say, you know, that it looks like they got it at the Salvation Army. Well, see, when you said, my, that's a nice looking suit, God already knows what you're thinking in your heart. And to him, that's being a hypocrite. And God says he hates false balances. He hates liars. He hates hypocritical things. But until we know that God sees that in our heart, we have to say, God, I, I want to be honest with you. I don't want that there. That's sin. Will you please remove it? I want you to look upon my heart and see a pure heart. Psalm 139, 12. Same chapter. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and darkness and the light are both alike to thee. You know, we just recently in the past few years have devised glasses that you can look through at night and make the night like daytime. And let me tell you, that became a tremendous weapon in warfare. Just heard the other night when the United States was fighting over in Vietnam that some of the mountain guards, I think it was called this tribe, they trained them and, and befriended them and asked them to help fight off the communists. And when they went along with them at night, they said they were invaluable. They were walking along through the jungle at night and one of the mountain guards said to one of our Marines, he said, uh, up there in that tree, way over there, about 200 yards ahead, there's a, a Vietnamese sniper. They said, I don't see anything. And he got his field, night field glasses and looked all over. He said, there's nothing up there. Yes, there is. They got an infrared gun and aimed it up there in the trees looking for heat in the tree. There's nothing there. The other is, he's just second. He walked up a little forward, took a crossbow, and a dead body fell out of the tree. 
they could see in the night. You ever notice that most of your night spots, most of your drinking joints and, and topless bars and so forth, they evidently keep them all very dark. You know why? People don't like to be seen what they're doing. It seems much safer when you're in a dark place to think and do what you, nobody can see me here. The Word of God says that it's just as bright as daylight in the darkness. And you may be off all by yourself in the dark somewhere and you think, well, nobody knows. God knows. He sees everything. There's nothing you can get away with. It's all written down. You may even go in your room and pout, slam the door and pout and get over there and say all kinds of nasty things in your heart about God. Mom and Dad don't know about this, but God doesn't. He's writing it down. It's all written down. If you think if you think a tape recorder is good, let me tell you, the motives and the attitudes and everything are recorded for that day when we stand before God. If you begin to recognize that this is the truth, it'll begin to put the fear of God in your heart. Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Where is it? Where are his eyes? Every place. Every place. David said, if I, if I flew clear out into the midst of the ocean, if I went down to hell, if I went clear up into the heavens, no matter where I go, behold, thou art there. I know some young people in my church years ago that used to say they'd go up in the mountains and get a, rent a cottage and close all the curtains and, and go, get drunk over the weekend. One guy told me that. He and two other buddies did it. They said, we didn't, we didn't want to become a stumbling block to anyone, so nobody knew about it. I said, oh, God couldn't see you up there. Well, he knew we weren't going to be a stumbling block. I said, no, until sometime somebody comes to you and says, is it ever right to drink? If you're going to be honest with him, you'll say, only if you can go up in the mountains and rent a cabin and pull down all the shades, then you can get drunk. Oh, so I didn't think about that. I said, God saw every bottle you drank up there. He says, you mean that? I said, yes, sir. The Word of God says that nothing escapes his eye. You see, your motivation was foolishness to go up and try to harm your body by drinking and then come back and say, because nobody else knows, we didn't hurt anybody. You hurt your own self-image, plus you've established a new standard in your life, and unless you're going to be a hypocrite or repent, you can never tell someone else it's absolutely wrong to do that. But they didn't know that God saw everything, everywhere they went, whatever they thought. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's talking to Christians now. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're going to be rewarded for the good and for the bad. We're going to lose our reward for the bad things that we've done. Psalm 94, 9. He that planteth the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? I mean, after all, he made these things. He made the eagle. Eagle's got a pretty good eye, hasn't it? Eagle will be a mile and a half up and see a mouse on the ground. He formed that eye. What makes us think that he can't see everything that we're ever doing? Whether we're at home. Do you know that a lot of businessmen, when they get out of town, get into their motel rooms, they do things and watch things and think things and say things and, and, and everything that they would never do when they're home? Well, nobody knows. They don't have the fear of the Lord in their heart. Proverbs 5.21 For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth, or weighs carefully, all, everything he does. Pondereth his goings. All his goings. That means he weighs carefully everything you do. It isn't what you do. Some of you say, well, I did my chores, Mom. God says, yes, but I saw the attitude of which you did your chores. 
and I'm not pleased with your attitude. Well, you told me to clean my room, and I cleaned my room. Now what? Well, you think, hey, I'm getting someplace with my parents. Not really. You've really missed out with God because he looks at the attitude of the heart. And that's why I keep telling parents, parents, don't just look at the fact that your children quit doing something. Watch their faces to see how they've quit doing things. They can be sitting down on the outside and standing up on the inside. You've got to deal with that inside standing up before you're ever going to get anywhere with them. As long as they've got a rebellious attitude inside that has not been submitted to your will, you're in trouble. But there are many Christians that think, well, nobody knows, but I just really can't stand that situation with my mom and dad. God knows your heart. That's called rebellion, and God's going to deal with that one day. You have to learn to submit to your parents so that you can learn how to submit to the Lord. Jeremiah 16, 17, For mine eyes are upon all their ways, they are not hid from my face, neither is there iniquity hid from my eyes. God says, I see it all. It's so interesting to me as I've been reading the prophets, I've totally been studying the prophets lately, and God says to Edom, he said, when my children, when I was having my children punished, nation of Israel punished, you stood off on the side and laughed and cheered and jumped up and down and got excited about the fact they were being dragged all over. And I saw your attitude. Now I'm going to judge you because you had the wrong attitude toward them. And that's why the word says we're never to rejoice when somebody else stumbles and falls. I'm not rejoicing, for example, over my brother Jim. The only thing I'm saying is we, there's something we can learn from this situation. I don't rejoice. I say, dear God, restore, reestablish his heart. Cause him to draw closer to you. Cause the fear of the Lord to become a reality in his life every day. Cause it to teach others to fear the Lord and recognize that be sure our sin will find us out. Dear God, help us to be able to be established more in the word of God. Scripture says if others sin, expose it so others will what? Fear. God wants the fear of the Lord to come upon us to realize whatever we sow, we're going to reap. You can't plant cucklebird seeds and, and harvest wheat. What we sow, we reap. And so there has to be the dealing with this thing. Lord says he sees all that, none of that's hidden from his eyes. Psalm 11, 4. For the Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven, his eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. Hmm. His eyelids try the children of men. He analyzes what they do. God analyzes us. Let me just quickly read to you from Ezekiel, the 25th chapter. This is where God is speaking concerning the Ammonites. Ezekiel 25, verses 1 through 7. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against the Ammonites and prophesy against them, and say unto the Ammonites, Hear the word of the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord God, because thou did, thou saidst, Aha, against my sanctuary when it was profaned, and against the land of Israel when it was desolate, and against the whole house of Judah when it, they went into captivity. Behold, therefore, I will deliver thee to the men of the east for a possession, and they shall set their places in palaces in thee, and make their dwellings in thee. They shall eat thy fruit, and they shall drink thy milk. And I will make Rabbah a stable for camels, and the Ammonites a couching place for flocks. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. For thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast clapped thine hands, and stamped with the feet, and rejoiced in heart with all the, thy despite against the land of Israel, behold, therefore, I will stretch out mine hand upon thee, and will deliver thee for a spoil to the heathen, and I will cut thee off from the people, and I will cause thee to perish out of the countries. I will destroy thee, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. God says, I knew the attitude of your heart. I watched you and others were going through it. You were clapping and jumping around and rejoicing over the fact that Israel was getting punished. You see, when other people stumble and fall, don't ever laugh and rejoice and cheer over that. 
if you have a wrong attitude toward it, if you find yourself rejoicing when someone else gets punished or, or it has to go through a hard time, look out because that's it's just going to be just like a, a slingshot that breaks. It's going to fly right back in your face because God sees the attitude of your heart. You'd rejoice with those that rejoice, but weep with those that weep. There's two more verses here I didn't, I didn't notice that we need to finish. The promise that secrets will be exposed. For nothing is secret, Luke 8, 17. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Oh, I hope that will burn into our hearts. Nothing will ever be hid but what it shall be made abroad. That's why uh, Moses said to uh, Issachar and uh, Naphtali when they wanted to stay on the east side of the Jordan River because there's good land there for cattle. He said, you've got to bring all your warriors in with us and take over, conquer the whole land with all the other tribes before you can go back home. And they said, we'll be glad to do that. He said, okay, but you remember, be sure if you don't, your sin will, will find you out. And of course, that's repeated in the New Testament. Be sure your sin will find you out. It will be exposed. Luke 12, 3, Jesus is speaking. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed on the housetop. That's kind of a scary verse, isn't it? When we become, become aware of these things and the fear of the Lord begins to set into our hearts, it will, it will straighten out our lives. Again, that verse that is so important. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Nothing else but the fear of the Lord will cause that to happen in men's hearts. The fear of the Lord. Now, some of this, this next part here, I'm going to be doing some reading because he does some explanation in this booklet. And some of you have the booklet with you, and I, I'll read it, you can read along with me here. How is the wholesome fear of God different from the destructive fear of Satan? It is significant that the same Hebrew and Greek words are used for both wholesome fear and a destructive fear. Therefore, the difference between the two fears is not to be found in the words. The fear of man or of Satan brings a snare, but the fear of God brings a blessing. And it's the same word. The Hebrew word for fear is yara. It primarily means to frighten, be to affright, be made afraid, to dread. It is used in each of the following verses. And those verses are Psalm 119, verse 120, Psalm 211, and 2 Kings 17, 38 and 39. Let me read these to you. David said in Psalm 119, 120, My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. One of the greatest problems we're having in the United States today is there's no fear of God before the young people's eyes, before the adults' eyes. The fear of God has been removed. Psalm 2.11, we are commanded to serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And the covenant that I have made with you, you shall not forget. That's 2 Kings 17.38-39. And the covenant that I have made with you, you shall not forget, neither shall ye fear other gods. But the Lord your God ye shall fear, and He shall deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. When you fear the Lord, He'll deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. The Greek word for fear is phobos. Originally, this word had the meaning of flight, or that which causes a person to flee in dread and terror. 
When Jesus taught his disciples about what to fear and what not to fear, he used the same Greek word for both. In Luke 12, verses 4 and 5, he said, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that can kill the body, and after, have, after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which, after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Jesus said, if you're going to fear anyone, fear God. To fear the Lord goes far beyond the idea of just reverential trust, by the way. He says it includes a controlling awe of his power and righteous retribution and a wholesome dread of displeasing him. Even though the same word is used for, various, for the various applications of fear, there are important distinctions. Okay, both in the Hebrew and in the Greek, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the same concept comes forth. If you and I are going to serve the Lord, and He's not the old man upstairs, He's not that loving, kind, godly man up there that chuckles at sin, patch on the back and say, that's all right, son, I'll just show you and manifest to you more of my grace. The Word of God says we're to walk in the fear, the awesomeness of God, and realize that when He says that He is no, be not deceived, for God is not a respecter of persons whatsoever. Any man sows, that shall that man also reap. Destructive fear is fearing the thunder instead of the one who made the thunder. That's an interesting thing here. He says, the Lord is a God of cause and effect. Now by that, what he's saying is, the Lord says, if you obey me, you'll receive blessings. If you disobey me, there'll be curses. If you follow after me, I'll protect you. If you run from me, there'll be destruction come upon you. He is a God that is a God of cause and effect. This is why he can demand obedience to his law. He knows the outcome if we violate it. He said, if whatsoever you sow, you're going to reap. He said, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, what? Cause and effect, you see. And because he knows if we'll obey what he tells us to obey and do what he tells us to do, the cause will bring the effect of blessings. If you hunger and thirst, you'll be filled. If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you reap life and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. A cause and effect here. It is also for this reason that he continually commands us not to focus our fear on the results of his working, but instead on him and his law. When the storm overtook the disciples on the sea, they feared the wind and the waves. Jesus instructed them not to fear these things. Then he showed his power over the elements by calming the storm. They were afraid of the storm instead of the God who created the storm and said, Dear God, we fear you. We don't fear this. We're asking you to give us the, the authority and we'll speak to this storm. Secondly, the next thing is destructive fear is overcome by dynamic faith. Destructive fear is overcome by dynamic faith. For the Christian, lack of faith produces destructive fear. Remember what we said some time ago? Faith motivates or moves God and fear motivates and moves Satan. This is emphasized in Jesus' statement to his disciples after he calmed the sea. In Mark 4, 38 through 40, they said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? When God tells us to fear him, he's requiring us to acknowledge an aspect of his character, such as his justice, his holiness, his power, I think we should have there also his omniscience. God says, 
Here's reason to fear me. I am a just God. I am a holy God. I am an omnipotent God. I am an omniscient God. I know there's nothing that you could ever do, think, or say, but what I know it all together. I know your thoughts are far off. If he knows them, then he can also judge them. For each one of these attributes, God has a balancing attribute. For his justice, he shows mercy. For his holiness, he gives grace. For his power, he displays loving kindness. The more we understand, acknowledge, and fear the first set of attributes, the more faith, hope, and confidence we have in the balancing set of qualities. In other words, he's saying it is healthy for a Christian to fear the Lord, but at the same time have faith in God's keeping power so that we don't go around with that constant fear as much as we know who he is and consequently we trust him that he's going to care for us. They're counterbalanced. Can you imagine if a person just went around saying, oh, I think God's going to kill me today, how, how paranoid he'd become before long? But he becomes aware of the fact that I fear God because he can destroy both body and soul in hell. But he also says he loves me, so I'm going to operate in a way in which I don't have to walk in fear. I can walk in the blessing of his presence and power and his provisions for me. This balance of fear and faith is illustrated throughout Scripture. Paul related his walk of faith and witness to his fear of God's justice and righteousness in the following Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, verses 10 and 11. For we walk by faith, not by sight. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to, to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore, he just got through saying, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men that we are made manifest unto God. Well, let me read that to you out of the Living Bible. It's a little clearer. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged and have our lives laid bare before Him. Each of us will receive whatever He deserves for the good or bad things He has done in earth, this earthly body. Now you see, there's no fear if you've not gone around doing evil. Perfect love casteth out all fear. If tomorrow they'd make a new law saying that anyone caught pushing drugs will be shot on the spot. Now I wouldn't stay awake all night worrying about that. Would you? Why? Now, there's some guys around here would squawk and scream and call their politicians and say, hey, vote against that thing. Don't let that thing get through. What are they afraid of? You see, Paul said, you know, there's the terror of the Lord because we're all going to stand before Him one of these days, but there's no terror if you walk in obedience before His command. If you hear Him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, that's a pretty good indication. You're not going to have to be afraid, isn't it? 